What's up, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. We're an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids. I'm Chris. You might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social-emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity-affirming IEPs through my online course. And I'm Jesse, a sensory integration trained SLP, owner of a top rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication Programs for Parents and Therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity affirming ways to support social emotional development and regulation in autistic kids. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's do it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Making the Shift. We hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We had a whirlwind of a few weeks. We went to Asha, which was in New Orleans. Got to meet a lot of new people and a lot of new faces. And we were in a new town that neither of us had been in. So that was cool. It was, but it is hard to be pregnant. A, in New Orleans, because you have to be sober. And B, just at Asha, like the conventions are so huge, so much walking. Yeah, I know. I just, uh, you're right. Being pregnant there was, it took a toll on me walking down some of those streets. (laughs) I bet it did, (laughs) considering I was putting all my body weight on you. Walking down Bourbon Street with bourbon. (laughs) (laughs) And then we went straight, we got back, and then we drove down to Mexico. For a couple days, got to enjoy that as well. Yeah, and we didn't have, I never told anyone, I think, what we actually did on Thanksgiving, where we went, do you remember, to Benihana, a Benihana Thanksgiving, Jack's first time, it was so funny. Yeah, we got to do some fun stuff. So while we were in New Orleans, we collaborated and connected and learned some new things, went to some great sessions a couple on neurodiversity affirming stuff. We followed it up with um, just a t- like three days total in Mexico. And during our time there, we listened to some podcasts ourselves, read some books, talked about some future adventures so we can keep our uh, wheelhouse spinning up in the, these brains of ours. So um, yeah. so we got to relax, but we also do what, did what we love best, which is this stuff. Yeah, that's true. So some of you may know that yesterday I did a free workshop for SLPs. It was called the Sensory SLP Workshop. And in that workshop, we just had the chat flooded with questions that we didn't have time to answer all of them. And I thought that this would be great to bring some of these questions to our show tonight. And then you can hear both of our perspectives on how we would answer these considering we both have very different work settings. I'm in private practice, Chris is in the schools. So what we're doing is a lot of the questions were surrounding specific topic areas. So instead of reading you guys these page, literally pages and pages of questions, we are just going to kind of condense this into the big topics that were asked. And then hopefully most of those questions will be answered. And, you know, I feel like the questions that were asked are probably the same questions that are amongst many other um, individuals out there. So uh, I feel like we'll be covering some ground and answering some questions that, that most people have. Yeah. They're all great questions. Definitely. So 
The first question I wanted to start with was about why we shouldn't use sensory tools as reinforcement. Or I think the question was more along the lines of, you know, how do I approach professionals who do that? Um, and why should we not do that? And I know I've talked about this. I don't know if it's been on this show or on social media only, but I will tell you there was this little girl I was seeing and I observed her in the school. She was in kindergarten and her one-on-one aid was using sensory as a reinforcement, meaning she had a token board. And when she got a certain number of tokens, then she was allowed to have access to her sensory bin of all of her tools and toys and equipment. And I really had to reframe that for her team because I had to explain to them that, you know, our goal here isn't let's teach kids to ignore all of the signals from their body until they can work through it and then get a break from it. Our goal is to get them to be able to intend and engage for longer by having access to these sensory supports. So I would say that's the main thing is it's not it's not accomplishing the long goal because it's just teaching her to suppress. It's teaching the child to suppress the needs that they have. And it it truly is harmful for the child to do that because then we are just teaching them, no, ignore all of the needs that you have. And that's really important that they learn all of these sensations in their body and what they need. Do you see that in the schools? Uh, Using sensory as reinforcement? Not as, no, you know what I used to historically, but that's a great, um, a great transition into that. Like that conversation when, if we do see that, just having that conversation of, you know, some of the reasons why we wouldn't want to go that route. Yeah. And you guys may know that Chris and I really don't recommend using any type of external rewards or reinforcers. And that would include something like working for a sensory break. And if you want to check out more on that, that's one of our most popular episodes on what's it called? Why it's something about behaviors. I'm sure that's really helpful, but I would say it's in the first 10 episodes. You'll see it. And it's all about why we shouldn't be using reward systems. Maybe that's what it's called. Something like that. I agree. Yeah. I was thinking about that too. It's like when we use a, uh, like a sensory tool as a reinforcer, this might not be a very good analogy, but I was just thinking about like, if you're sitting down with a student to help them with some reading strategies and the reinforcer was their um, reading glasses that are their favorite glasses. But it's like, well, you got to read this first before you get your glasses. It's like, but I can't read if I don't have my reading glasses. That's my tool to help me succeed. That is so good. It is a good analogy. Yeah. All right. I didn't know if I was on the right track here, but I was thinking while you were speaking that, hey, you know what? It's kind of the same thing. We have tools and supports and accommodations and and all of these things to help us out to make that's how we succeed. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say just going back to the basics, training the team on why it's not helpful and why it is counterproductive to use sensory as rewards. Okay, so we got so many questions related to and kind of under the umbrella of 
what to do when kids are getting more compliance-based therapies and how you can work with a team or how you can work with a child when that child is receiving different types of therapy and how you can, you know, one of the questions related to this was how can you use this neurodiversity affirming sensory-based therapy without, I think the word was undoing everything that was going on in more of like the compliance-based therapy. So this is something I think so many SLPs struggle with because we do see that. We do see that we might provide a certain type of approach. It might be more play-based. It might be more sensory-based in our sessions, but then the child may go into you know, a school that is very structured or have other types of therapy that are very compliance-based. And I've always been so honest with families when they come to us and they are doing a lot of therapy that is compliance-based because it's essentially like we're in the ocean. Here's an analogy for you. We're in the ocean on a rowboat and Chris is rowing one direction and I'm rowing another direction. It really is, for example, if one type of therapy is using lots of rewards and reinforcement and the other type of therapy is not using any rewards or reinforcement, it's very conflicting. So those types of philosophies are very conflicting, which make it very difficult to make progress. And progress will absolutely be slower if team members are doing different things. And that's not to say kids can't get lots of therapy or lots of types of therapy, but it is so important that the therapy they're getting, everyone is on board with the same methodologies, with the same approach, and they are working toward the same goal. Yeah, a hundred percent working towards the same goal. Um, You know, in my district, when we have students that have, have more supports and needs. Um, every once in a while, we our, our district has some um, behavior specialists that will come in and, and work. And these are people I've known for so long. And, um, you know, historically, not in, not in the most recent years, but historically, there's been some approaches with um, a lot of use of rewards and token economies and things like that. How, however, um, I come in with saying, you know, I'm wondering if, we allowed the student to have full access to, you know, this device, if what, what we would get. And I wonder if, you know, if we really supported some of this stimming behavior and had some fidgets and I've had nothing but success. And the people that I work with, the behavioral specialists have been extremely collaborative. And honestly, they're my go-to people. And I need to, when I can't find a fidget or something, I'm all, Hey, Sandra, you, you got that bin that I can borrow. She's all, you got it speech, dude. Um, it's a, it's a really good model because we, we do work as a team. So maybe I, I think, I feel like I'm really fortunate because the communication collaboration is, is key on some of these things. And that's really uh, from my and I'm just speaking on my own personal experience. I should note that, but um, I have had a lot of um, reciprocity and in, in, in um, success in working together. Yeah. I had to share that because yeah, I don't, I don't know. I know that sometimes that doesn't work and that's not always the case. So I, it's just me and the way that I frame 
you know, rather than saying, I think you should do this, or I was told that if we use a lot of external rewards that it can strip away autonomy, rather than going away or rather than going that route, I say, hey, you know, what are your thoughts about this? And, and do you have any input? Like, do you have any ideas that you can provide? And, you know, really making them part of this decision yeah. to make that transition, to make the shift. There we go. And another question that was in the same kind of wheelhouse was about how can you, I don't know if the word was convinced, but basically like convince families to do more of this like sensory based therapy when they see the, they said, quote, progress and more compliance based therapy, meaning you do often see these quick results in compliance based therapy um, which is a lot of the times very, you know, drill based, very structured. And with that, I would just say to ask parents, you know, what are your goals for your child? What are your long-term goals for their communication? Because you can get a kid to do almost anything by rewarding them, right? You can get a kid to eat broccoli tonight by rewarding them. But what do you want to do? Do you want them to eat broccoli tonight or do you want them to love eating all veggies when they're older, right? It's what is the short game and what's the long game? And we're always playing the long game. And, you know, if a parent's goal is that the kid says water or juice, we can teach the kid how to do that pretty easily using rewards, drilling them, using something really structured. Or is the goal to get them to say, it's raining today. Let's go get my boots so I can jump in the puddles. You know, it's that we have to be able to support a child's regulation if we want to be able to see the engagement and the communication grow in the way that we want it to grow long term. Yeah, absolutely. There was a, this is so long ago. This is before Jesse was born. <laughs> but some of you out there may remember this. You probably remember this too. I remember Oprah promoting it, but it was like there was this nationwide thing back when I first started teaching, which was in elementary school, like the kids would earn a dollar for reading a book. Sure, we got the kids to read, but every single kid that loved reading decided not to go find their favorite book, they found the book that had the shortest pages. <laughs> They're like, well, this is part of the program. I'm still going to get a dollar. So they ended up finding that these kids were trying to find the easiest ones to read so they can get the book done so they get the dollar. So the long term was impacted because it stripped away their decision, their passion and their love of reading. And it was based on a compliance model. Read this, you get a dollar. So I had Smart to Smart kids. Yeah. Anyway, I'd, I'd I'd find the shortest book too if it gave me a couple bucks, <laughs> especially these days. <laughs> okay. So this next question is one we get all the time. Really good question. So this, um, lots of questions about this is what do you do when kids kind of need constant movement? What do you do when a child is in class but needs constant movement? And the answer to that is you really have to think about if a child has a high threshold for sensory input, meaning they it takes a lot of sensory input to fill their cup, we need to be able to fill their cup. Because if we don't, it's like we're giving them a half, I was going to say half empty, but I should say half full cup. And it's not enough 
input for them. So they're constantly going to be craving that input because they don't feel satisfied yet. So that's why it's so important. This is something we talked about this week. I was on a coaching call with our parents in our parent program, and we had these exact questions come up. And I was asking the families, and some of the kids had one-on-one aids, you know, well, can the one-on-one aid, what's something they could do right when they get, get to school where they could get a ton of movement right before they go into the classroom? And then what are different points during the day when they could also let that child get all the movement that they need? How are we, How are there ways that they could build more movement and more intense type of input into their daily routine? Because what happens with kids who have this high threshold and need all of this input is the day-to-day mundane tasks, it's just not going to cut it. That's like, okay, Chris has a high threshold. That's like why he never wants to go to the same restaurant every time we go out. It's like if we always did the same things every day in the same routine, he would constantly feel like he needed more which is why I suck up the stress of the unknown and let you just pick random restaurants. But that's how kids are. They need to get that input. So we really have to think about what are some strategic points throughout their day where they can get that input and start to work with, you know, the teachers or other professionals in the classroom, family members to try to figure out how can we get this child's threshold met because that's the way that we are going to get them to that optimal learning zone, that place where we really need them. And you probably see that a lot in the schools too. I do. Yeah. And you used to have a a stair stepper. Is that what it's called? Gosh, yeah. yeah, I used to have a nice classroom for my office and had a little stair stepper and a recumbent bike and, uh, all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah. And I remember you would just have sessions with your kids where they were like on the stair stepper and you're talking with them. Yeah. And then they uh, ended up running a little bit out of space and having to shift me around and they put me in the closet. <laughs> where you belong. <laughs> I put baby in the closet. <laughs> oh, well, that's where my speech therapy is. It's in the closet behind the nurse. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of people can relate to you there. Yeah. So that's really the answer is thinking about how to integrate more movement throughout the day. That's really what the child needs. So it's not really something we want to take away from them. It's something we do want to help them with. So we got a question about how much of our sessions, if we are using sensory-based sessions and we are using strategies for sensory in our sessions, how much of our sessions are sensory before moving into language, or is it something we will use throughout the session? And the answer to that is it completely depends on the child. I have kids in the clinic who will come in, we'll do a few sensory activities, like we'll do some wheelbarrow walks, we'll do some wall push-ups, and then we'll just go and pick a toy and play. And then maybe like 15, 20 minutes later, we'll take another break and do a little bit more movement and then come back to what we're doing. And for some kids, that's all they need. For others, it is a constant, how can I give them the sensory input they need throughout this session? How can I you know, keep them calm throughout this session by giving them lots of calming input? So I would say it definitely depends, but as much as you need, really. And there are some kids who 
are maybe um, more aware of what their sensory needs are, maybe a little have a little bit more control of their self-regulation. And you really don't even have to do very much other than have like fidgets and things available to them if they need them. And maybe some of those sessions are more along the lines of talking about sensory needs and what they need. And I know you have a lot of awesome sessions in the high school getting to do that. It is a blast. You know, the whole topic of sensory processing with my students in high school is an amazing topic because it's things that they haven't learned in the past. And I'm talking students that have low supports that are in honors and their AP classes, all mainstream students, they'll come to me. We'll start talking about sensory processing. We'll talk about, you know, different, the different size cups. We'll talk about our external senses, our internal senses. We'll talk about, and I'll show them different ways to help regulate. I mean, they just love this stuff. It's something that every single person on this planet can benefit from. It's not just like our students. When I teach them, I'm like learning myself. I'm like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> They'll say, Mr. Winger, have you heard of the glitter bottle and how to make that for calming? I'm like, nope, I haven't heard about it. And it's like jumping on YouTube. I'm like, no way, we're going to do this. And so I learn a lot from my students because they have found some ways to cope and regulate. And um, and we kind of share each other's brain power. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say those were kind of like the biggest topic areas. We got questions about Got a ton of random questions too. So I might not have to hop on a live sometime and just do like spitfire answering all of these questions. But for now, if you didn't catch the SLP sensory workshop, the recording is still available for this week. Just reach out. You can reach out to our team, Melanie at sensorySLP.com if you want access to that recording. And for anyone else interested in taking your Sensory skills to the next level as an SLP, our Inside Out Sensory Certificate course is open right now. We just opened the doors last night. So if that is something that you want to do, if you want to start taking regulation and putting it at the forefront of your therapy and really building kids communication through sensory strategies, then make sure to check out that course. We'll put a link here or you could visit sensorySLP.com. Thank you so much for chiming in. We appreciate your time as always. Be cool and be legendary. Bye. <laughs> if you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Bye.